All right, so I went ahead and started the recording. Um, this is what episode, I think, seven of the mainline industry podcast. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the video game crash of 1983. Mr. Von Hyde, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty fantastic, actually. It's not it's not too bad. Um, I've been an introvert for a long time, so the coronavirus isn't exactly hurting me for the most part. So, yeah, just kind of chilling out. <laughs> You know, um, this doesn't have anything to do with the crash, uh, but I didn't I didn't get a chance to get it out before we started recording. Um, I played, I think, over the past week, about 15, maybe like 16, 17 hours of Steam World Quest. I don't know if you've played that one. That's really great. I haven't like I've I've been a fan of the Steam World games for a while, mostly because of Steam World Heist, because I absolutely love the idea mm-hmm. of like cyber, like basically like uh, cyber bandits similar to like Firefly. I've always thought that was so awesome, but I've never got into Quest. Uh, my co-host of IndiePod, Josh, is a big fan of Steam World Quest. He likes it a lot. So I've heard some great things. Oh, I would have. I would have a lot to talk with him on that, because like, um. I unapologetically got uh, got the first like two months free of of, of Stadia. I know, but hey, um, they like came out with like a pro like version, which gives you I think nine games for free, right? So I downloaded like I think four or five of them, and one of them was SteamWorld Quest. I started playing it, and the visuals were spectacular, and like it's a, it's turn based, but it 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 has like Slay the Spire style like card like mechanics, like a deck building system. And it, it hooked, it hooked me so bad, dude. So bad. But. Yeah. It's always like looked really, really interesting. And I love the aesthetic of like mixing these robots with like a fantasy setting. It's so interesting. I'm actually really excited. Like image Inform just announced that they're at least in like pre-production for their next game. We won't see it for a while, but um, I'm very excited to see what the, what the developer does next. It's also completely unpredictable as to like what they're going to do because they're like they hop between genres. So while their last game, which was Quest, I think, or or Heist, I don't know which was the last one they put out. No, it was Quest. But um, it was a it was Quest. So it was like a turn based like card battler, right? The next one could you know could be like a first person shooter up against Valor. No, that's probably aiming too high. But either way, so. Um, speaking of um, things that are impossible to guess, looking back, um, the video game crash of 1983. Um, I understand that uh, you have a little bit of insight into this. Uh, you watched a few videos on it, brush yourself up to speed. What we'll do, um, we'll we'll start off with the um, with the I think it was the arcade port of Pac Man that uh, Atari released. Um, I don't remember exactly, like, what was the 7200? Either way, um, this was before our time, right? So it's kind of, like, interesting to talk about something that uh, happened before we were, we were even born. But um, in 1982, I can kind of imagine, like, I don't know if you saw the videos of it, but it was, like, it was really awful looking. Oh, this like, absolutely um, horrendous board of Pac-Man that makes so much sense that people didn't purchase it, let alone the fact that, like, it was made, I think, in six weeks. Was it? Was the was the development turnaround that short? Six weeks. Uh, I know. That's insane. Yeah, I think it was roughly six weeks. And the the most interesting thing that I saw was that the 
um, build that they actually released was not meant to be that. It was actually a prototype. It was something that the developer was mm-hmm. showing, basically like his department heads at Atari, what he was working on. And then they took that and they published it, from what I understand, which is absolutely insane. Also considering that I think they ended up putting out like um, the 20, I think it was the Atari 2600, if I'm, if I, I might be wrong on that, but they ended up like, there were 10,000 consoles in the wild and they ended up putting out or not 10,000. It was like, uh, maybe it's like 10,000, 10 million, something like that. But they ended up doing an additional like, uh, 12,000 to 12 million, whichever actual figure that is. But they ended up doing so much more than the consoles were like realistically feasible to accomplish with this Pac-Man game. That's just not good. So I guess that would be like Nintendo putting out uh, like 20 million copies of Wii Sports. So everything would have like 100% attach rate, which already like that's that's kind of where all of this started. Like it was a lot of corporations betting way too much, way too big and way too soon on these like supposed blockbusters um, around Christmas in 1982, Raiders of the Lost Ark came out which was literally just a pitfall clone and then um a few months later we got et and we all know what happened with et and like the over promising of like the marketing department from activision and how basically you just the crash happened because there was so much excess greed from um big game publishers and probably developers too and you know we we saw that not not too long ago in I think it was most prominent between, what do you think? Maybe like 2012 to 2016, 17 with like, you know, all of the Call of Duty remakes, not remakes, I'm sorry, like reiterations and like remasters. And you started seeing like a huge influx of like, I don't know, kind of like gross corporate cash grabs. Am I, am I fair to say that? I mean, it's not it's not completely wrong, but to put it on the same level of what happened in like 1983 is pretty crazy, especially because like when you look back on it, it was not only were there massive amounts of games that were being put out, there were absolute dog shit and they put out far too many actual like cartridges of them. But there were right now like going from uh well i mean technically like after i think it was like 1985 with the uh the nes and then they moved forward there were technically more consoles out but currently we only work on three platforms for the most part not including pc and we didn't have like developers don't have to worry that much about putting their games on every console but back in the 80s there were like dozens of consoles and even Mm -hmm. like there were dozens of consoles that also had additions to play other console games, which is so weird. Like there was an addition to, I think it was like the, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure on this. It might've been like the ColecoVision or something like that. That would allow it to play Atari 2600 games, which is just mind boggling that that would ever happen, especially in like today's day and age where it was, it blew our minds that a small, like small games like Cuphead and Ori in the Blind Forest would come to Nintendo Switch. Like, that was outrageous to think that would happen, let alone, like, way back in the 80s, entire games, like, being accessible on a competitor's console. Which leads to a lot of consumers being confused, probably, about, like, what kind of product they were even buying, which probably led to a lot of people who weren't educated in, like, 
the types of games they were buying, not only returning their cartridges, but returning their systems because, you know, a lack of, you know, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no, it, um, it, there was this, uh, there was this report done where um, marketing was so, it was so easy to kind of get lost in the weeds on what you were even buying. Uh, we saw something like that, I guess, as far as like mainstream, like games, consumerism, um, back with the Wii U, whenever, you know, there was that giant confusion over whether or not people would even understand that the Wii U was a new console and not just like an accessory to like the Wii, right? But that was rampant in like 83 and 82. I mean, this is also a problem that, I mean, still exists, but in a much smaller way. Like now that we're past the Wii U, we still have stuff that's like they put out peripherals and they put out like um, talking about the like the Nintendo Switch the Nintendo Switch versus the Nintendo Switch Lite, there are games that require you to, like, be docked or to dislodge your, like, Joy-Cons, which you can't do with the Nintendo Switch Lite. And they didn't, like, they, in my opinion, have not done enough with the marketing to show the difference to, like, standard consumers that don't know enough. So there's very possible that there are, like, a lot of consumers out there still now, like, showing that this is a problem because... They go to pick up a Nintendo Switch. The light costs less, so they buy it and they buy like uh, one two Switch. And you literally can't play that game, as far as I know, because you can't take the Joy Cons out. You can't like dock it. It's impossible. So this isn't something that like ended even then. Like it, it still exists now. Like uh, in the PS3 and 360 generations, the releasing of DLC on discs and not exactly like making it apparent that this is just a downloadable content. Like, this is just DLC. It's not the game itself. So, like, when I was a kid, I remember going and my mom bought me the, like, Oblivion, the Shivering Isles DLC, thinking she was buying me Oblivion. And when she got it for me and I, like, opened it up, I was like, nope, this is not the game. Like, it's... They make games kind of, like, unnecessarily complicated when it doesn't have to, which was so... It was so real way back in the day. Like it's, it was so excessive back then, but it hasn't exactly been eliminated now. That's true. I would say that now, um, ever since maybe, uh, I would say ever since like the start of like the eighth generation with um, the Switch, the Xbox One, I would say quality has been a lot higher just maybe because of the fact that like press is more prevalent. I don't know. But what we did see back in like 1982 with Raiders of the Lost Ark and E.T. and the Pac-Man port was a just a overwhelming lack of quality in games, which obviously led to like a lot of people returning their stuff and um, going more towards like toys, you know, like He-Man, Cabbage Patch Kids and like Transformers and stuff like that. Like that's kind of where you you saw the market going. Right. Um, the president of Sega. For example, um, what was it K- Kaminsky? I think it was. He worked for Mattel before going back into games, and and I remember he was you know he was doing this interview where he was just like, oh, it was just it was just toys, right? We didn't even think about games. That games was a games was a passing fad, and everyone had like kind of closed the book on video games until 1985 when you know Nintendo released the um, NES in Japan. And and pretty much saved everything, 
But before then, it was all toys, right? So you, you got to wonder if, like, there's an alternate history where toys, where, like, Nintendo didn't make the NES and, like, toys became, like, the major um, entertainment de facto, right? It's kind of weird to think about, I think. Something that I find that's so weird about what you just said is that, uh, like, Mattel and, like, Coleco and Atari were basically the, like, three main companies that ended up, like, for the, I obviously there were like small third party companies and stuff like that, or like corporate entities that for some reason put out games that absolutely should not, like Quaker Oats and some weird ass dog food company ended up putting <laughs> out games. But, um, like they're for the, they're for the most part, like they got into games because there was this massive boom because of arcade cabinets and stuff like that. It became like a mainstay in pop culture yeah. and like, in American culture and just culture around the world, they ended up like kind of crashing, causing this bust in the video games market. And then like, they just abandon it to start making toys, which is kind of hilarious. Like (laughs) they ruined it for everyone. And then they're like, yeah, we're just going to peace out right now and start investing in toys. Yeah. I mean, like, Another thing that was super weird that actually almost caused another crash was the lack of, um, I think, development and publishing control from developers. Like Activision made their own games, like specifically. And for a long while, I think up until like 1996, I think for a full 10 years, like Nintendo was really, really overly strict on like what type of games um, could be made for the NES, the SNES. And it wasn't until like the whole Moral Kombat fiasco that they kind of, you know, had to lighten down on that because of, you know, obviously press ramifications and stuff like that. But I don't know, man. It's it, it it's definitely it's definitely a strange thing to look at. Like what you were talking about earlier with like the overabundance of consoles. You know, um, I'm 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 starting to see shades of that sort of thing happening, or like the possibility of that happening, because now obviously you know we have like our three main consoles. But, you know, you're starting to see, like, Steam kind of taking over a little bit with, like... I mean, Steam completely has taken over, you know, with PC gaming. And then, um, you know, the jury's still out on how consoles are going to be um, handled with, like, game streaming. And, like, most people's predictions with the fact that, like, games are going to go full streaming by, like, 2030, 2035, which can cause, like, another influx of people wanting to get into it, you know, like right now like google like google is in video games in in a way like you can buy and play doom eternal on a google you know parentheses hashtag or a console right so that's that's a little strange and i don't know um it's it's starting to be less complicated or it's starting to be more complicated than the simplicity of the sega genesis versus the nes which is all there was or the snes which is all there was back in the 80s I mean, I guess what's so nice, like you're talking about how you're starting to see these shades like encroaching on the video games industry now is that like now gamers and people who love video games are so like they're they're well informed and they're also like they're used to a certain level of quality. Whereas back then it was so like it was so new and nobody knew what to expect. Like they uh, they were used to arcade games and then finally finding out that they could have this sense of accomplishment and this gratification with console games was such a big 
Like it was a big change. You could actually finish games. They didn't just crash at a certain level like arcade games. Um, so now we as gamers and we as people who love video games have this expectation of what a console is going to be and what games are going to be on it and everything. So I think like luckily I don't think anything will happen where it's like this massive uh this this massive downpour of consoles and all of these different companies trying to get into the game space because like it's it's almost happened multiple times. Like they've they've tried to hell Soldier Boy, the fucking Raptor, Raptor rapper tried to get into video games with his weird ass console and like that was immediately like crashed that that crashed and burned yeah. um like there are all these consoles that keep trying to come out but people are showing that they are more well informed now they're like no what the fuck is that like why would i need a dedicated game like system nowadays paying like 300 400 to play atari games that doesn't make any sense so luckily i think we're more well informed now but you're right, we are heading into kind of this dark zone where we don't know what's going to happen with this streaming future and what's going to happen with consoles yeah. in that space. Like, I, I'm very excited to see what happens, um, but I also am not super worried about it because I'm moving more into the PC space myself. Like, yeah, so this stimulus check that recently just was given to everybody by the government, I was already like not. building I did. I, I built a PC. Um, well, it's mostly because I was gonna, I was building it anyway. I had already purchased multiple parts and I ended up just being like, I'll just finish it off. I'll get like my PC all set up. And it's also like, this is something that's, that's highlighted way back when in the, like in the, in this video game crash. And now is that I realized that like a PC is so much more than just to play video games with. Like this was something that happened back then where they their consoles, like the the Atari twenty six hundred and all that sort of stuff, like the ColecoVision, these were just entertainment sources. They were just to play video games. But then the uh computers like the Commodore sixty four and the Apple II, they started to drop. These home computers started to drop in price and made it more accessible for people to get in to the PC market, which then you could like use your computer for much more than just video games, which is exactly what like I'm seeing now where I'm like, I want to be a video editor. I want to go into like podcasting and audio production. And I can't exactly do that with a video game console. But if I invest like an extra $500 than I was going to with the PS5, I can build a gaming PC that can also stream and I can edit video. I can do so much more with it. So yeah, I could see something like this coming up again, but luckily I don't think it'll be a crash because we aren't going to have this abundance of like the the barrier to entry is so much higher now, not just in the amount of money that you have to put into it, but you have to convince consumers that this is a worthwhile product. Like Stadia is even showing that now. People are not invested in Stadia. Like there are some people who think it's going to be a big deal, but they say that it's going to be a big deal. Not it is. Like it's come out and people are underwhelmed and they're expecting more from Google. And I think that's a good thing. Like we are, we're more well-informed and we expect so much more from our video games. Well-informed. I think that's the, that's the key outlier here because 
I like personally, I feel like Stadia has about as much potential as any sort of deliverable console. Um, but maybe like the key difference here is, you know, being informed. Um, the N64 launched with two games, right? And I think a lot of people's main criticisms about Google Stadia is the fact that, you know, it doesn't have a well-supported library after so long. But, you know, neither did the N64, the uh, um, the PlayStation or the um, PS3, I think. But either way, um, I don't know. I guess, I guess time will tell. Um, I think you brought up a really interesting point on um, the fact that, like, you know, the Apple II and different sorts of uh, home PCs entered the market right around the same time that, you know, games was ex- game, video games were, was experiencing its weakest, its weakest thing. And I think another thing, too, that led to video games being in this super weak position, it, it wasn't really um, E.T. Like, a lot of people blame E.T. Like, it's like the figurehead for the crash of 83. But, like, Atari, you know, just made like a huge amount of mistakes like as a company and on top of that like anyone could make and sell an atari game and for the most part it looks like uh, while doing my research like everybody did which leads me to my next point um do you think that like a lack of i guess quality control with a lot of marketplaces in, like on playstation xbox and nintendo steam like as a huge you know, benefactor of that. Like, do you think like that could lead to shades of the crash from 83? Like the fact that there are over 60,000 games and 80% of them to 90% of them are trash, like just steam trash, like quality's low. I mean, I don't know. Do you think that could influence something like that happening again? Um, I don't, I don't really know if it's like, if it's an exact like one to one comparison, because way back when we had, uh, like I said, like fucking Quaker Oats making video games, we had like, yes, everyone could publish video games and they did so, but they had to spend so much money to do it versus now, I uh, like the most of the reason that we have such a, a large like influx of games, we have this issue with quality control and everything is that like, Anyone can do it. The barrier to entry is so low. You just have to download like game software. You have to download an engine and start to work in it. So I think it won't necessarily cause a bust again because people aren't, they don't have to invest that much money into it. Um, But yeah, I do. I do see what you mean where it's like a large part of like a big issue was way back when they allowed you to basically put out your game on whatever console you wanted. Did it matter if it was shit? Which is kind of nice. Like nowadays, there are games that slip through the cracks, but there is like a big certification like hurdle to get over to get on a console versus PC. Like to get on a console, you have to basically like register your game with Sony and they have to deem it in a sense worthy to come on their platform which even then they at times will take games off their marketplace because they find out that they're like easy platinums or they refuse to allow them to market it as an easy platinum. Wife of Black Tiger. Yeah, yeah. Black Tiger, my name is Mayo, like all of these different games. Um so I think like I think we're we're starting to see this more like quality control oriented game space 
So I don't think that that'll necessarily happen again. But with the advent of like streaming, I don't know, like maybe if in like 2035, we all move to more streaming platforms. I don't know if this same like, uh, like rigorous testing will go into those, like into those games. Like it's possible that we'll see this massive influx of just shit games. So I don't know. It's kind of like, it's daunting. Like not knowing what's going to happen with the games industry is kind of like, it worries me in a sense. Well, now we have this huge curveball that was recently thrown at us in the form of coronavirus. Um, something that my girlfriend and I talk about is the Renaissance uh, period of, of art that tends to follow, um, I guess, instances of um, catastrophe, you know, I guess like the coronavirus. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people are going to be picking up and like forming their own indie studios from home and putting out or at least sowing the seeds of like an early, uh, you know, early prototypes of games. Um, and I guess that is something that leads me to probably our, our final segment of the show. And it's the, it's the big question of, you know, can it ever happen again? Because, you know, video games and video game systems are, you know, they're luxury items. They exist to please us. And they're a time passer for, for a lot of people. They're an escape. And I, I think a lot of people see it that way. But we can't eat them and we can't wear them. And they are like you and I were talking about earlier with like a Patreon membership, you know, being sort of an artistic expense for a lot of people that aren't creators. They're among the first things to go when a family has to trim the budget. Now, a lot of people think that video games are recession proof, but I don't I, I'm not 100 percent sure if they are. So that said, um, with like the vacuum effect of uh, a lot of people losing funding and losing their jobs losing, you know, their livelihoods and having to pivot and put their money into more important things. And with the fact of, um, I think, Generation 9 or 10 looming on the horizon with the PlayStation 5, the Series X, uh, and the inevitable, you know, Nintendo's follow-up, what do you think is going to happen after, um, after we kind of start to come down from, from the coronavirus catastrophe? Do you think that it's possible for an industry to crash again. I uh mostly because of the like the effect that this pandemic is having on the games industry, I think that it will like follow a similar trajectory as like the housing crisis that happened in like the the 2000s and such. Um because like then from what I understand, video games had a big boom because people were at home. They were like they they had lost their jobs, but they still had to have something to keep them entertained for the most part. So like people were buying consoles and stuff like that. Like it's it's obviously a frivolous purchase and people make fun of. And I find this kind of like I absolutely understand why people are making fun of GameStop for saying that it's an essential business and they're putting their their like employees in danger by asking them to work. But also like especially in the coronavirus, we're all at home and people like they're talking about, um, they're, they're talking about how they need stuff to keep them from going insane. They need something to keep them from that cabin fever, from like stabbing their fucking like roommates or something to keep them, uh, from 
just all out going insane. And video games are one of those things. Like video games are inessential. Or they are in essence, like an essential part of who we are now. Like they're most houses that I know have a console. Like my grandma has a console. She mostly just uses it to like watch Netflix and shit, but she still has it on occasion to play video games. So I think it will actually have the opposite effect where people are getting more into video games. Like right now, we're also seeing like this massive, like because of uh, games like Animal Crossing and because of the coronavirus, we're seeing massive shortages of the Nintendo Switch because people are buying them up. So I think it's actually going to have the exact opposite where people are like they are buying consoles and they're buying their games because they just need something to distract them from how shitty the world is or like to occupy their time at that very moment. And yes, you could say like, this is something I feel like I have to defend because I did just in a sense defend GameStop for saying that they're an essential business, which is kind of hilarious, but I still, I, I somewhat understand it. I have to defend it by saying like people will say that you could just buy your games online, but you also have to understand that not everyone has the network connectivity that you do. And like, it's very possible that they can't download their games. Like when I worked for GameStop, I had so many people who bought physical games and they came in and we had to like set up their Xbox ones for them because it requires an internet connection because their internet was such shit. Like internet is not great. In the United States. So I think like, I, I think the GameStop in a sense, like could be thought of as an essential business, but you really shouldn't be fucking with your employees like that unless they wanted to work. So I just felt like I had to defend that stance. Sorry. <laughs> and we, we've seen, we've seen, we've seen GameStop on the news uh, quite a bit for, for better or worse, I think over the past month, maybe two months, um, I, you know, as a, as a company, I, I, I feel where they're at. I mean, their backs could not be more proverbially up against the wall, right? So they're coming from a scary position. But, man, I, I mean, I tell you, I, I really hope you're right. Um, I would hate to see the industry crash as a result of a recession. Um, you, you had brought up the 2008 housing crisis um, and the recession that caused. Uh, I would argue that the coronavirus will cause a much more disastrous um, economic downfall. Um, and also, I mean, just from gas prices that I've noticed from, from yesterday, um, when me and my partner were driving around gas prices, uh, what usually cost me like, this is not about video games, but usually cost me about like 25 to 30 bucks to fill up my car. And I was filling up and I hit at like $14 and I like, I couldn't pump anymore. And I was like, Oh, they must put in, you know, like limits on like how much gas you can, you can put in your car. And it wasn't until my dumbass was driving down the street, maybe like 10 minutes. <laughs> I was like, Oh wait, no, right. Gas prices are literally like a dollar right now. The last time, like, it, yeah, they're like half. It's crazy, dude. And like, that did not happen in 2009 or, and eight. Like, and I looked that up a little bit when I came home and that's sort of like, like uh fuel sweep, like 50% means like there's, 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 there could possibly be some bad, bad things coming. Um, some people are, you know, like can it, can video games survive in a, in a, in a depression? Is is the conversation after like a month or two more of this that we need to start having? But um, do you think, like, sorry to cut you off, but with the coronavirus, do you think we'll have a month or two, uh, like 
more going on with people doing like social distancing and stuff. Cause I was like, I was listening to uh knockbacks most recent people are stupid. Uh, yeah. They're, they're dumb, but knockbacks most recent episode, uh, Colin and Dagan were talking about this feeling of unrest among people who are in their homes. Like they don't want to be there anymore. They're done. Like, do you think we're going to actually have this, like this kind of like, this wave of people that no longer are they're just done with being at home they're like i'll risk my life well really it's not even that they'll risk their family's lives for the most part because they're sick of staying at home like do you think that people will actually stay inside for a month or two longer or do you think that they'll just be like no i'm done like i'm just gonna leave because even most recently over the weekend um in idaho our stay at home order was extended until the end of like April, I believe. And like thousands of people went to the Capitol building and were like basically protesting that vision. And it was fucking crazy. So I, I honestly see future. A lot of- did you see Patton Oswald's tweet? Did I, Oh yeah. Yeah. Where he was, uh, and Frank spent two, he said, and I quote, and Frank spent two years hiding in an attic. And we've been at home for just over a month with Netflix, food delivery, and video games. And there are people risking viral death by storming state capitol buildings and screaming open flood records. <laughs> and, like, he's not wrong about any of that. <laughs> Fuck flood records. It's terrible. It's awful food. There's no reason that any sort of, like, there's no riots that need to be happening over flood records. And, like, yes, he's exaggerating. But, like, I mean, not really. Like, me and my girlfriend, we ha- we are pretty much like we we came to the conclusion that like a year or so of of this is what's necessary. Like, and I don't know. Like, my backlog is going to be really happy, but yeah, for for most people, like, I mean, you have to you have to consider the kind of country we live in. You know, most people aren't as cool as you and I, just like chilling at home, playing games, watching movies, hanging out. Most people don't want to be at home, and a lot of people, you know unfortunately live with people they don't want to live with. Like if I was like, I don't know, like if I was like a 17 year old teenager, right. And I was living with my abusive mom and like stepdad or something like that would suck, you know, like, I don't know. Like there's so many different variables for like what people are going through right now. So while I don't really have too much empathy for the guys with AR 15s outside of Michigan state capital, like causing a fucking ruckus and scaring everybody. I do kind of have some sympathy for people that don't want to be at home given their circumstances. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, like, honestly, I see in the future, like it kind of coming down to the like state governments and stuff like that saying that, yes, this is going to go on for another month and people being like, no, like I'm not going to stay at home. Like, I honestly think people are just going to push back against all of it and be done. They're like, I don't want to stay at home anymore. I don't want to like, I lost my job because of this. Like I, I can't get a new one. I kind of see people just revolting against the idea and risking life and limb for the most part to fucking, I guess, in a sense, go out to Fuddruckers or whatever, which is total bullshit. I agree. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's crazy. I also do want to ask you one more question. That's not necessarily about the coronavirus, but um. Do you think that do you think we'll start to see this boom in people moving from like consoles to PC now that we like we see 
all of these people having to work from home and they see that it's actually kind of like a nice thing to work from home that, uh, that, well, not a nice thing, but companies find out that like, they don't have to have call centers. They can force people to work from home and that way they don't have to pay this rent and everything. So do you think that we'll actually see, so jobs will start to move to be more of an online, like an at home kind of a thing as like an overcorrection because of the coronavirus. And then those people who would normally play video games on consoles instead move to PC because they see the utility of it. Do you think that something like that might happen? I think if you were to give it a, a, like, if you were to have like a test case of like five people from different economic backgrounds, just work from home for a year, I think absolutely you would see like most of them, if they were playing on consoles before, they would find some sort of like alternative on their PC because working from home, like I work for a mobile game studio and when I'm not working like directly, I turn on Stadia or I've opened Steam and I get to, you know, playing whatever I play on there until I'm needed back at, you know, quote unquote work. Right. Because like the access factor is so easy. So yeah, I think you're, I think you're 100% spot on. I think, I think if there was ever like a definitive like, hey, is it consoles or PC that's going to make the most money in 2021 and 2020? Like, it's definitely going to be PC. Like, there's no there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So. Do you, I want to ask you one more question. And this like does actually okay. pertain to coronavirus. Um, and then I'll be done. Don't worry, you can end it after this. Um, okay. You working for like a video game studio. Um, after we see this coronavirus where people are all like pushed to working from home, do you think that like, I've heard multiple people kind of like estimate that, uh, that game studios won't necessarily close down, but they'll move to entirely working remotely. Do you think that that'll be like something that happens more often now? Like larger studios are going to just entirely shift remote? That no, I think that would I think that would definitely be an overcorrection. I, I like in the case of my company, we recently I think literally like February twenty eighth, weeks before this whole Corona mess happened, we just moved upstairs and got a brand new office, right? And so a lot of allure with like working in like games for <laughs> me, blows. yeah, it sucks, right? Like a lot of allure in like working in games for me was you know being in the being present in the environment surrounded by people that also play games. And like, we just renamed all of our rooms to be like in-game settings. Like, so we had like a Hyrule room, a Tamriel room. It was, it was awesome. And then fucking coronavirus happened. Right. And I think that with games, like there's definitely going to be some, um, what's it called? Like some departments that will maybe be permanently work from home, or at least I think the option will increase. Right. Because we're, you know, working in games is very culture based. Right. Like a lot of what you hear about is like people like to go out for lunch, et cetera, et cetera. Like my girlfriend, she also works for Playful Studios, which is a game studio. And, um, you know, they were pretty much working from home already before the coronavirus thing even happened because, you know, uh, like she's a community manager for uh, Playful, which is, and, you know, right now um, they do Creativeverse. And a lot of that work is already, you know, remote, you know, by essence. Right. So, um, what I, what I will say though, is that, uh, what's it called? Because we're in mobile games, like the rules don't even like apply, you know, like one of the big arguments that we had maybe like 20 minutes ago was about like quality over quantity and can quality, you know, crush a console. Now, 
can quality or a lack thereof like send an entire industry into like a crash and like on mobile it's not even a question you know how many mobile games come out that are of like insanely low quality 90% of them are just trash right and so like it doesn't even apply so i don't know what did what did you say your original question was like i kind of got on a tangent here but oh right you said will most studios go work from home i think that the option will be more prevalent but i don't think i don't think so like i think the bigger question is these jobs that previously weren't remote or work from home will definitely go work from home because before i was working in games i was working in logistics and transportation and trucking and the argument for our onboarding software as far as like routing transportation was always like oh yeah it's impossible to do this from home this is trucking this is transportation and thanks to coronavirus we have recently learned full well that is if if most of your job is computer based and if you can perform 80 70 to 80% of your work functions on excel chances are it's probably going to go work from home in the next 5 years coronavirus or not anyway so yeah to answer your question 1000% like maybe not developers but like more, like a lot of other industries are going to go work I was going to ask um that actually I was going to ask about your 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 work situation being so like hands on with customers and stuff like has has there been any update on that front Um luckily I don't work with customers I run a machine that uh like I run a machine behind everything like I'm the one who packages coffee I don't have to sell it or anything like that but it is it's oh. kind of weird like we're constantly like we have basically every week like new rules to follow like oh we have to like sanitize this we have to sanitize that it's kind of like businesses are just trying to play catch up because no one knew how to do like deal with the coronavirus in the first place and like now that they're learning more like we weren't even at my work we weren't even required to wear masks until like last week oh so you do have to wear masks at work because there's just like a lack of masks yeah now i do yeah i mean it's completely fluid right and i was just curious you know i didn't i didn't know if i mean I'm, I'm glad though because last time we recorded you were worried about your job security and it sounds like your job got everything figured out and that you get to stay on which is good i'm happy for you yeah luckily it seems mostly because of like these like stimulus bills and everything that's going out to keep companies afloat um they've like changed things to where like now all the people they laid off they brought them back and all sorts of stuff. So it's it's gotten better. My mm-hmm. job security is almost like it's almost uh like a definite. I'm not worried about it anymore. But now like now seeing the coronavirus and seeing that I can do things from home and I'm having so much more fun producing content and stuff, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if I see more of an uptick in like like kind of like if I start to gain more of a community, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next year or so I move to a different job that does something online or something like that. Like it's just, it's, it's kind of like, I noticed that this is my passion even more like working a menial job just feels meaningless. We could have an entire episode about that sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. Okay. Well, so yeah, that, that was one thing. Like, I I mean, we could probably go on and on, but yeah, you host one four individual podcasts three of them are weekly so my hat's off to you man that that's a lot of work that's a tremendous amount of effort and um i'm having not only 
I I'm okay with keeping up with IndiePod, but now I got to keep up with Go Beyond. <laughs> so that's thanks for that. <laughs> and, and and then you have well, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to talk about the other thing. But either way, so um, I wanted to go ahead and wrap this episode up. We're I think right at 45 minutes. Uh, and again, you know, I wanted to thank you for coming on, being an awesome co-host. Um, where I, I, you know, I think since you're kind of like a permanent member of the show. Um, I don't think we need to do like, a, oh, tell the audience where you're, I'll tell them. I'll tell them. You're on Twitter. <laughs> at <I League. laughs> You're the host of IndiePod and the, Go, the, the, the recently formed Go Beyond Pod. So check out uh, Bond's work uh, there. Um, this has been episode seven of Industry. Um, I hope that um, the first 30 minutes at least of the uh, you know, that were centered around the video game crash in 1983 were beneficial. You learned a little something. And uh, I guess I kind of apologize about the last 15 minutes of coronavirus talk. But look, every single podcast can't even fucking help themselves. So who are we to be exceptions to that? I'm not. So. Uh. <laughs> do you have any? Um, I was going to ask. Is that those? Do you have any like parting words? Anything you wanted to get off your chest before we end the show? Um, mostly not. You pretty much covered it. Like you, you covered. Yeah, I'm the host of IndiePod and everything. You can follow us at IndiePod. Um, that's for indie games. You can also follow my work. Uh, the Go Beyond podcast is a My Hero Academia rewatch podcast. It's just a friend of mine and me talking about fucking My Hero Academia. It's awesome. Big fan, and I love doing it. So that one you can find on Twitter at Go Beyond Pod. Um. But no, I'm I'm honestly like I'm just excited to have another outlet to talk and learn about games. This was so like this episode was so interesting because I like I knew about the video game crash, but I didn't know like the the nitty gritty of it, I guess, and what really caused it. So it was fun to go back and actually research it. I'm super stoked for our next episode because that one is like it's amazing and I'm excited. Yeah, I uh, it's it's obviously a little bit tougher researching um, an event that happened what like uh, almost forty years ago, right? Next episode, you and I are going to be talking about the culture and formation of um, Souls likes, and I think that's going to be really cool. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. And with that, um, I'm going to go ahead and say au revoir. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you next time for episode eight on Souls Lakes. Take care.